Christmas. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. <laughs> All right, how's everybody doing? Who's already seen the, the Peanuts Christmas already? Your kids, are, look at that, it's amazing. It's like, you know, we want peace in this season, and it's like, I need to curl right now. The weather's cool outside, curl up with a blanket and turn that on, and you're good, right? It's amazing. Well, you guys doing okay this morning? Man, I love this season. I really do. Unlike Dave, our associate pastor who hates Christmas. He is such a liar, I'll tell you this right now. He is, that is, I mean, you can't not be happy around Dave, and there's no way that he hates Christmas. I'm still investigating his house. My kid said, he's still better than you. He actually puts lights on his house. Um, I mean, he, he is, yeah, I, I love that he said he's a, a Grinch. He is not a Grinch at all. Well, if you didn't know, and I just, I want to be honest with you, um, the, the most lighthearted thing that you're going to have today is that little video, because we're going to be talking about peace in the midst of 2020. Um, and I, I love this, the, you know, the, the reading that, that you get from this, this Luke 2 chapter in this. I love just even, the, just from a production standpoint, the use of silence and pauses. I mean, Linus is incredible. I mean, we've got great readers here, but I just thought there's nobody that's going to be better. Um, but there's this, pat, this, the, this words at the end, we all gravitate towards them. But if you really think about them, if you're a thinker and you're reading scripture and this idea of glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill toward men, that whole thing, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And you think, okay, this was over 2000 years ago. The, the, the prophecy was 700 years before that in Isaiah. And there's going to be peace coming. There's going to be somebody that's going to bring peace. There's going to be peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Well, there's already a problem right there in our English translation of the Greek and the Hebrew because that's really not the, the phrasing. Actually, some of our more modern translations do a little bit better going backward and looking at the translation. And in the NIV, it's glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So one is circumstantial peace, like peace on earth would be peace on earth. And if we were looking at the, the track record of Jesus coming and then peace being on earth, we would have to go, well, that didn't happen, right? But then we talk about something else today, which is called transcendent peace, which is this idea of it's possible even in the highs, even in the lows, even in the most difficult moments in life 
that our vision, that our eyesight, that what we see and what we experience transcends what's around us and it's possible for us to have peace. And I think that's actually a more miraculous type of peace, one that actually does shine light and darkness when it comes to the people of God walking out in a broken world, walking out into the world of 2020 or 2019 or 2018. You don't have to pick this year. You could pick any that we've been through and we would be light and darkness because sin is still a part of our broken world that we live in. And what a miracle it would be for the people of God, for me and for you to walk out with transcendent peace, peace that goes beyond our circumstances, whether on the mountaintop or the valley low, we have peace. To understand this, and just uh, as we get around this idea of peace in Advent, you got to understand the word biblically. And when we see peace, we have our, again, the translation is problematic coming up to the English. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes I think it beautifully translates what, what we're trying to see in Scripture. But it is interesting to dig down into the layers of the Hebrew and the Greek, and you look at peace, and the word is shalom. And a lot of people know that. I mean, I hear that, you know, well, I just wish I could get a little shalom in the home. You know what I'm saying? We understand what shalom is. We know that it's related to peace, but the depth of that word and the weightiness of that word is so much bigger, so much greater than our version of peace. Our peace in, in the Webster's Dictionary is the absence of conflict in its basic form. I and mean, that's why, you know, we think about war, we think about peace. We think about, I need to have some peace and quiet. I need some time without chaos, time without conflict. I need peace. And granted, everybody would love some of that. But this word shalom is way better than that. It's not just, I've got financial problems. I would love to have some financial peace. I've got, you know, debt that I've gotten taken care of. And peace would be getting rid of that debt, no longer having the debt. No, it would be getting rid of the debt and actually having some change in the pocket to live life. I mean, the way that people talk about shalom when you look at commentary is just this term, quote unquote, as it should be. Shalom is things are as they should be, a much weightier word. But the problem for you and me, this is interesting about human beings as we dig into peace. God created you, some of our greatest assets as the majestic creations that we are on planet earth, because we, we are the pinnacle, we are God's pinnacle creation, the ones that's, that walk around with souls. I know that some of you believe your dogs have souls, and I, 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 we could get into that theology. You can email me, you know, about Fluffy or whoever he is that is going to be with you in heaven. Um, I'm not trying to ruin anybody's Christmas about Fluffy. I love Fluffy. He will probably be in heaven because Jesus loves you. But when you think about the high order nature of human beings, we have something that is unbelievable. It's a huge benefit for us in survival on planet Earth. It's called the neocortex. We do things that other mammals don't do. We, we think in abstraction. We think about the future and we think about the past. We're not just looking at what's in front of us and trying to dodge bullets. We're actually planning for the future. We're actually, actually taking a ton of information from our past and it's informing the world that we walk out in. How to, how to avoid landmines is, is often, I went through a landmine before and I'm gonna avoid that one next time. But then you layer on top of that with this neocortex and the way that we plan for the future and the way that we dream about what's possible, you add the fact that we live in a sinful world and we are sinful. So the way that we manage our neocortex, the way that we think and the way that we plan, the way that we absorb and carry the beliefs of the past into our present and into our future can be very broken. It's, I think about it in the way I think about technology in general. Technology in and of itself is benign. It's not bad. But in the hands of sinners, it can be detrimental, can't it? 
I mean, you think about the way that technology has worked its way out into our world. There's some great benefit. There's some things that we can do with technology that are awesome. But we also know that what we've absorbed over the last 15 years as the, as the technological advances have gone through the roof, exponential, we've seen the devastation. As a, as a parent of a teenager, as somebody that's walked on planet Earth in this decade, we all understand that. It's the same with some of the things that are built into the human being that God put there as assets. In our sin and brokenness, they can fail us. They can betray us. Because the reality is peace is found when we're not actually conceiving of the future all the time. When we're not carrying the broken burdens of the past. When we can live in the present, in the moment. Most people's regrets when they get older is, I wish I was more present. I wish I wasn't worried so much about the future. I wish with my kids, with the people that were around me, I was there. Like Willie Nelson says, wherever you are, be there. There's some wisdom with Willie. We should be there. But how do we do that? We have to betray the way that we were created. Is it possible for us to have some sort of transcendent peace? I mean, in our world, just like I said, the technology, think about, you know, why do we not have peace right now in, in our world? And don't just think about 2020. Just think about any, any of the recent years. I mean, for us, we have a 24-7 anti-shalom that we carry around in our pocket. You know what I'm saying? I mean, at 24-7 news, 24-7 notifications. Who has figured out, I need to turn off some of the notifications on my phone? Because it, it's buzzing all the time. It's pulling you in all the time. And, and as planners, as people with a neocortex, we think, oh, I need to know all the information. I need to know what's happening locally. I need to know what's happening globally because that's going to inform me to make better decisions to avoid the landmines of life. So we're, we're tethered to this device 24-7. Disasters, global pandemics, whatever, you know, tsunamis, all of the things, everything that's bad. And there, the, the news feed that's coming in, the information that's coming in, I mean, there's some happy things that you see that are absolute lies on Instagram, but there, there's that thing that we've got attached to us. That is not creating peace for us, is it? I mean, if we really look, if we dig down deep and admit it with a truthful spirit, I mean, I mean, there was simpler times. I don't mean this as the, the old guy thing. I'm not that old, but I am old enough. Some of you will be shocked. There will be a few of you in here who remember when things just shut off. Like at the end of the night, I remember, I'm, I'm that old. When you, when you got to like 11.30, the national anthem would play on the five channels that you had, and it would say, end of broadcast. It was over. Like, it was just like, what are we going to do now? I don't know. It's over. And there'd be snow on the TV. Now, if there's snow on the TV, we're calling Comcast. We knew snow on the TV just means, I guess we got to go to bed or go outside and do something. I mean, we, we didn't know. But we get it. Not that they, they, there wasn't peace back then, but certainly there's an overwhelming movement that's disrupting us. And because of this, there's all kinds of other things. I kind of mentioned it before. There's the comparative analysis that we have. We go to our devices to get peace, to get a little time. It's like, all right, I got a little break from work. I got some time at home. I'm going to flip through Instagram and see what's happening. Well, then you've got the death of comparison. You know, for you, you're just trying, to, just trying to get your kid to go to bed without getting up and asking for 18,000 drinks of water. Can I get another drink of water? I mean, you just want that to happen. Can you not put the food in your hair? 
And then you get on Instagram and there's like the perfect family who's picked out their Christmas tree. And then after Christmas, the husband's whittled it into an urban garden and he's got a Jeep with a wreath on it that you don't have. I mean, it's, it's different. And you're in your room and you've got your kid outside and you're holding the door closed and they're going, mama, 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 mama. You're looking at that. It's not bringing anybody peace. And on the darker side of that, there's the judgment that's happening. Not only are you comparing, but people are looking at you. People that you know and people that you don't know. This is especially true. I work still in student ministry. It's devastating the way that they walk around on eggshells. Because at any moment, something could be said, something could be snapped, a picture could be taken. The way that they walk through life, the fear of failure, and I've got teenagers and I see it. The fear of failure Like, you don't get into this place or have this type of performance or you don't do this thing. It's not just something that you come home and tell mom and dad, I didn't make it or this didn't happen. Everyone knows. And the judgment comes in waves, in waves, in waves. And they're walking around wondering, did somebody get that? I mean, they literally are worried about being natural and free like kids should be. Because a picture could be taken, something could be said. They walk on eggshells and it's, inundated. It's coming in. And as a result of that, I mean, we don't even have the statistics on the psychological damage that was created because of cell phones fully. It's starting to come in. But we do see the suicide rates. 2018, they, don't, they can't even compile the statistics because they're, they're going through the ceiling in 2019 and, and God forbid 2020 when they compile those. But in 2018, 48,000 human beings in just the United States took their own lives. They did not die from something. Not, not, they, they, they decided, I'm checking out. I'm done. I, can't, I have no peace. There is nothing. I cannot stand one more mom, moment under the shame, the guilt, the failure, the condemnation. I, I have no peace. So much so that they would end their lives. That's 132 a day. We have no peace. I, was, I took my breath away several years ago. I think it was 2017 or 2016. I was at Passion Camp with a, a bunch of students. And one of the speakers, it was near the end of the week, was it, in, ending his talk. And you could tell it was unscripted because he paused and he was really thinking, should I say this or should I not say this? And he just said, I, I just feel like God's leading me to ask this question. I, I feel like there's somebody that's out here that has already written the letter, who's already scripted out, made a plan, typed it on a computer, written it in a journal, the goodbyes and the plan to take their own life. And he paused and then he said, I want to speak a word over you from the book of Psalms that today you will not die, you will live. And then he continued to talk about the person of Jesus and that Jesus had never left them. Jesus was crying with them. Jesus was walking with them. Jesus was, as Leslie said, tearing down walls, going over the mountains, into the valleys, going wherever he had to get to get to your heart and to pull you out of the pit that you're in. And then he said, I just want to pray for you. So everybody bow their heads. And if that's you, and this is a bold thing to do at a youth deal. Like, I mean, just, is anybody going to respond to say they've actually written? This wasn't like, I'm, I'm really sad right now because my, you know, Jeff broke up with me. I mean, it's, he, he was saying, no, you've written the letter. If you've written the letter, if you've contemplated this so much that you've written it in your journal and you've got a plan. He said, I want you to raise your hand because I want to pray for you and speak something over you. Everybody bow your heads. And I, and I peeked to see what was going on. I was like, about a hundred and at least 150 raised their hands. And I couldn't, I mean, immediate tears came to my eyes. 
5,000 kids, 150 said, I've written the letter. I've written it in my journal. I've penned it. I've said my goodbyes. It was amazing to hear some of the miracle stories coming out of that. I kind of followed that story online after that. And some of the people that contacted the conference and contacted that camp and said that their lives were changed as a result of that, that this was their letter. They posted their letters, sent their stuff in and said, this was going to be my life. But because something intervened, something changed in that moment to shatter an idea, a broken view of what was possible. Circumstantial peace, I think all of us know is fragile. We all want it, right? I I want circumstantial peace. I mean, when you think about peace coming, you think about this passage, you think about Isaiah's prediction that there would be a peacemaker, that there would be someone that would come and change things. I think we all want circumstantial peace. But is it possible for you and me to have transcendent peace? Moment to moment and day by day. And I think the lie I think that you might have heard in church is that you accept Jesus, you become a follower of Jesus, and you got peace. Sorry for all you other chumps, I accepted Jesus. Peace for me! That would be a lie. That would be a lie. Because we walk through trouble. We walk through the same things that everybody else is walking through. We We got people in this church that are walking through diagnosis that have them rattled to the core. Cancer in this church. People that are headed in directions that would absolutely shatter some of you. Marriages that have fallen apart, relationships that have fallen apart, wayward, just absolute prodigal children that break your heart. But how do we walk through those places and actually have peace? I certainly want to know. Well, if you look at Isaiah 9, I love that that Dave brought this up last week. In Isaiah 9, it says, "For, For to us a child is born, I love the simplicity of this. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. God's solution to the problem of peace and the problem of finding shalom, God's solution was not a peace plan, it was a peacemaker. It has always been that way. God's simplicity of his plan was always in a person. It was always in a real person. And I think for many of us, we have this concept of Jesus. We have this picture of Jesus, whether it be historical or the felt board Jesus that you grew up with in church and somebody told you a story and it's storybook Jesus and it's a distant thing. But the way that we read scripture and the way that many of you have experienced Jesus and woken up to that reality, and maybe some of you haven't, is that he's as real as the person that's sitting next to you. He is alive. He is changing things in history right now. He's not just done. There's not just this one historical amazing act. That one act changed everything in history, but he's still working. He's working in your waiting. He's doing things when you're not doing anything. In the midst of your hurt, he's there. He's in this room right now by the power of his spirit, speaking to some of you, maybe for the first time. But the prophet's leading us to something that would ultimately happen where Jesus would walk with flesh on. And Jesus talked about peace. In John 14, 27, he talked about it often. And you talk about Jesus got dropped in one of the most unpeaceful times on the planet. Under the Roman Empire. They wanted to bring peace. Pax Romana, that's what they were working towards. But in the process of bringing peace, they brought devastation. And they were the most oppressive regime around. 
But he's saying to his followers in John 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And then he wants to be very clear. I do not give to you as the world gives. In other words, he's saying, hey, circumstantial peace, like what you're looking for, you know, and and, and fighting for and what you're thinking about. He's thinking about the surrounding circumstances. They wanted him to take the throne. They wanted him to replace Herod. They wanted him to replace for the Israelites. They wanted him to take over to be a king like King David was in the days of old. They, they needed somebody to ch- actually change the government. They needed somebody to change the oppressive nature of the society that they lived in. They needed somebody to take care of this circumstantial stuff. And Jesus is thinking more on a global level. Jesus is thinking a bigger story. He's thinking a narrative arc that would lead all the way to places and rooms like this. Where it wouldn't just be the people of Israel, but it would be the entire planet. But it would be this transcendent peace, not this circumstantial peace that would come. It would be a bunch of followers of Jesus walking around miracles, the light and darkness. Under the worst persecution in, in history, they would be peaceful. They would be walking into different countries as foreigners, carrying the light of Jesus, while chaos is going on around them, but yet settled by peace. That was his plan, that peace would be with them, not as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So how can we have peace? I mean, I I often stay away from really uber-practical messages that, that stretch really the biblical boundaries because today honestly is just like Aaron said it's about Jesus it's about Jesus and the, and the peace that Jesus brings this is not a peace plan but it's about a peacemaker but how can we have peace and I've just got three things this morning I could probably have a, a 10 point sermon but I'll spare you um, but the first one and the most important one Sometimes I end with the most important because I'm like, this is going to be the crescendo. But we're going to start with the most important, which is peace with God. Romans 5, it says, Therefore, since you have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access. Now, this is important right here, this word access. Hopefully, this will reframe maybe the way you think about this and you breeze by this idea. We get to come before Jesus. That's great. But you have access to the peacemaker. What you didn't have before Because of what Jesus has done, you have access to the peacemaker by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, all of a sudden we have access. Something has changed. There is peace between you and God. It's the most important chaos that you need to take care of in your life. You may not think so. You're looking down here on everything that's going on here. But if there is a problem, a separation, if there is wrath, if there is a separation between you and God and there is no peace, that needs to be dealt with. And the beautiful thing is you couldn't deal with it. You had no shot at dealing with it. But Jesus, the peacemaker, comes. And it says in Colossians 1, this is how he deals with it. So, So God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, him being Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus comes to change everything for you and for me. What we needed, they all needed at the time Jesus came, and they're thinking Jesus is coming, he's going to be the Savior, he's going to be the Messiah, he will sit on the throne in Jerusalem. And Jesus knew the more important thing, he knew that God's plan was to send his son to 
pour out his blood, to take on the wrath, to stand in the gap, to be the in-between, to be the, the mediator between us and God. Because we were broken, we were rebellious, we were the ones walking away. We were the ones that didn't even want God. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He shed his blood for us, therefore making peace by that shed blood, rectifying something between us and him. We all need that peace. And sometimes we have a fractured view of what it means to be a Christian. And if we don't, we don't get this, none of the, the rest of today will really matter. Peace with God. You need this peace because it changes everything. It changes everything. This week I was talking to students and we're in this series called Filter. And we're just talking about, you know, how do we walk in, into life and be in the world and not of the world? How do we walk into every situation and every circumstance and not fall prey to all the things that students have at their feet, the things that they're trying to navigate, the, the, the 24-7 judgment. How do you walk through life and not allow that to affect you and actually walk with, towards life and not towards death? How do we not leverage and use the things on planet Earth to try to medicate the hurt that we have? And the beauty of it is that the gospel does that. When we have peace with God, guess what? It changes something. This is important because you're not going to have peace if you're carrying all the baggage from the past. If you're still carrying the sin and shame, if you're still carrying the rejection, if you're still carrying the abandonment, if you're still carrying those things and they're defining and they're informing with your neocortex all of the decisions that you make, all of the things that you do, you will end up continually walking into sin in order to solve those problems. For students, I said, you will compromise your lives. You will give something to a boy or a girl just to have them look at you and say that you're pretty. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is when, when we become Christians, it's not like those belief systems all of a sudden fall off. That's the lie that many people hear in the church. Like, okay, no more abandonment. You know, I'm loved by God and I get to run into the freedom of, you know, being accepted and loved by Jesus. All of those things are true, but there's still a belief system here that needs to be repented of. There's still something hanging on you, a chain. Now there's truth over here. You've been hinged. You've been, you've been pulled in. You're now slave to righteousness. Now you're connected to a whole new truth. No longer abandoned, but adopted. No longer rejected, but accepted. Not by Billy or Bobby or some little ding dong, but... God himself, accepted by the king of the universe. But for you and for me, we get the opportunity. We think repentance is this thing where we walk towards God. Oh, I just did something bad. No, it's this joyful thing of realizing I'm tethered to the king and I can pull off rejection. I can pull off abandonment. I can lay those things aside. I'm no longer chained. I was chained and I had no shot at removing these chains in and of myself. But Jesus came and his blood broke the chain. And now I'm accepted. Now I am loved. Now I am chosen and I belong to something. I'm a citizen of heaven. Now I've got a filter to walk through life with peace because I've got peace with God and it's changed everything about the way I interact with the rest of the world. First and foremost, peace with God. It is the most important thing that we settle. And some of you may have walked in here with maybe an idea of religion or Christianity, but you don't know the person of Jesus. You've never taken all of the things that have defined you and laid them at his feet and said, I believe what you did has broken these chains. I repent of believing that these things will cure all of these things that are attached to me. 
but I know that you do it by, by your blood. I believe in what you've done, and I want to give my life to you. You've never done that. You've just said, I'm a church person. I grew up in church. My parents were Christians, and now I'm a Christian. It's a lie. If you're depending on that, that's shaky ground to be on. Commit your life to him. It'll change everything. Because peace is not about coming to church and maybe it'll give me a little bit of peace. It'll settle my heart. My kids will be nicer to each other. No, there's a peacemaker and his name is Jesus. Secondly, we see, if you've got your Bible, Philippians chapter 4. I love looking at the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul, it was Jesus and only Jesus in the chaos that he was walking through, the persecution he was walking through. So number two would be, so peace with God, recalibrate your mind. We actually have some things to do in this process. He's done everything to give us peace with God, but how, how our belief system changes is the process of sanctification. And he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's talking about reframing your mind. This passage in Philippians chapter 4 is about the idea of peace. How do I walk through the chaos that we're in? How do you walk through 2020 and actually have peace that surpasses all understanding? And he's saying, recalibrate, recalibrate the brain. And when you look at Paul's reasoning for writing this, you read the commentary and you dig down into the Koine Greek and find out what he's actually saying. He's Just let's take the first three. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. You know what he's talking about there? Doctrine. He's saying, you got to have your thoughts about what you think about God need to be correct. Because this is not just about fluttering around on the clouds and in this spiritual thing that doesn't have anything to do with the way that God humanly made you with a brain that thinks. Spiritually, God can change things in and through you. But he's saying, you're the doctrine, the way that you think about God, you need to, be, you need to exchange the 24-7 with something that reframes what's going on in your mind. Don't drift away from the true doctrines of who Jesus is. If you do, there will be no peace for you. There will be no transcendent peace. You need to fill your heart. You need to fill your mind with this type of doctrine. It's why we think about worship songs. It's not just, let's go look at the top 100 CCLI. We really look at our worship songs because we know that when we come in here, I know I need this. I need to be singing the truths of God. Not because, just because God deserves it. He does. He deserves all of our prayer. He is worthy of everything that we can give him. But he doesn't need it. He's not going, oh, I just need that today. You know, I was, I was kind of down. You know, well, that Peanuts film, that thing, it just, it just lifted me up. No, he has everything. You know, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything in creation. If we don't cry out, something's crying out and giving glory to God right now. He's not short on that. But for you and for me, he puts these worship words in our mouths. And we want these to, to be aligned fully with scripture so that we know the truth that, that God is coming after us, that he'll never leave us or forsake us, that he, we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, that he is our strong tower, that we, we look to the heavens and that's where our help comes from. We want that woven into the fabric of what we sing. This week we were in staff and we have a lot. December's just one of those months, got budgets. I mean, finance committee knows it. it's like they, you know, you kind of roll throughout the, the year, you have your quarterly meetings and then you get budget season and it's, 
you know, it defines. We have to get vision ready. We're thinking very far in the future. So we've been busy and there's a lot going on every time we come into staff meeting. It's like, can we not, you know, talk too much about stuff that doesn't matter and just get to our meetings and because we got a lot to do. And we finished up a pretty brief staff meeting this week and Beth said, hey, we're going to go into the rec room and we're going to worship. We're going to, we're going to, when nobody's going to lead, we're going to put something on, we're going to, we're going to quiet down and we're going to realign our hearts. And immediately, I think the entire staff's like, like we have nothing else to do, you know, <laughs> like what do we, you know, what's, there's nothing on our list. And it really is the, the instinct of, of human beings. We're thinking about the future. We're trying to recalibrate. We're thinking about last year's Christmas service. We're thinking we got the pavilion this year. We got things we got to do, you know, but worship. And you get in that moment, and we love Maverick City. I don't know any fans of Maverick City in here, but they, they, most of their words and their lyrics are, are, are rooted directly from passages in Scripture. Like theologically, just on fire. They move the heart. It's amazing that you stick with the things in the Bible, and those are the things that actually make people raise their hands and worship and lift. When you hear about the blood poured out, which seems like that's the last thing people in, in the world want to, like this bloody crucifixion. Let's all shout and sing. But it's the very thing that you see people erupt in a church service over because there's a spiritual thing that happens. And we were singing these words this week, just a few of them. You know, the, I, will, I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord. I'm confident as seasons change, your faithfulness remains. Right out of scripture, Psalm 27. And this song's uh, kind of a put together between Colossians 1 and Psalm 27. On mountaintops, you stay the same. In valleys low, you never change. I love this. God of my present, God of my future, you write my story. You hold it all together. I mean, it's so good. And it recalibrates the brain. The brain. Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is good. There's so much that we're being inundated with. We got to recalibrate. And God gives us his word and he gives us his spirit to lead us back to those places. The apostle Paul knew this. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, he says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned, I love this, the secret. Whenever you see that in scripture, when somebody says, I've learned the secret, you should probably read here. Like he says, I've learned the secret of being content, of being at peace. And in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all of this through him, being Jesus, the peacemaker who gives me strength. God's solution is not a peace plan. It was always the peacemaker. And number three is kind of the how to Paul's secret. So we've got peace with God, very important. Recalibrate the mind. We got to get there, people. It's why I, I you know, I'm not a church person that's always like, hey, attendance, I, I noticed that you were not at church this week. I, I don't, that's not, if that's your view of church, like I need to be there to check the box so people don't look at me and go, man, he's, what's going on with them? They haven't been there in a while. That's a ridiculous notion, but I think you should be here simply because we all need it. We all need to recalibrate the mind. God has given us the church. He's given us each other to recalibrate the mind. And what happens in that process is number three, you release your past, your present, and your future to him. Taking everything that's swirling around in the neocortex and realigning something that was always meant for good in the way that it should be. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. Well, thanks, Paul. It's like telling somebody not to think about the pink elephant. But he continues. 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition. He doesn't just say prayer, which is, you know, get together and pray, get together and, and say something nice. But by prayer and petition, which is the granular level of requests. Like, take it all. Take everything to him. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And what does he say in seven? In the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Just to believe this, just to know this, just to absorb this, changes and reframes the mind. For me, if we have a distant view of Jesus, this is where this begins to all fall apart. But when we have a picture of Jesus being as real as the person sitting next to you. I mean, look at the person next to you right now. They're pretty real. Yep, yep, Whitney Kenny's real. He's actually a real person. We have this weird picture of Jesus, but when we realize the king of the universe knows you and you have access to him because of his blood, you can come before him. I, I think about it this way, like bringing my anxieties, bringing my cares before him. I mean, you ever want to be, know the, like, I, been in that situation, like, I, I want to I get to the manager. Like, I, I have my issues with Comcast. I don't know about you. But you get on there, and you know they're like 15 levels away from the person that you just like, I know this is going to be a couple hours because I'm going to have to say, hey, can I speak to the manager? And they're going to go, yes, you can speak to the manager. And the next person comes on, and they go through the same script that they went through, and they're asking you the questions. I'm technical, too. Like, I've spent my, my world before, you know, pastoring in the technical world. So I've tried every, I've, I have turned it off and on. Um, and you go through all the scripts and you just, I, can I get to the manager? Can I get to the, can I, hey, I know that you're the manager, the assistant to the manager, but you need to, can we get to the actual manager? And you finally get to, I remember I got a hold of some person and it was like 15 layers in. Um, and they, they, I don't even know if they were the manager, but they should have run Comcast. They should have been the CEO because in like a minute and 15 seconds, they solved my problem. After being on the phone for an hour, though, they, they went through all the stuff, ordered the new equipment, got the one that was working, working for, for right then. Super sweet, super like just amazing. I said, you need to be the CEO of Comcast, CFO, all of it. We want to get to the manager. I mean, have you ever been around somebody that like knows somebody? Like you go into a thing and you're like, hey, oh, don't worry about that. My dad, he runs this. Like he owns this whole thing. Really? He runs that whole deal? Yeah, come on. We got these tags right here that says we are in. Like we get to go to everything and be a part of everything. And we get to meet all the cool people. Come with me. And you go and you, you're with that person that's like, my dad owns it all. He's the dude. He's got, he's got it all taken care of. We can go to whatever. We can be a part of whatever. Any problem that we have while we're there, we get the thing. We get to go to the green room, eat celery with the cool people. It's going to be amazing. You, you are in. He's it. That's my dad. And that's your dad. We don't think about that, but this, this access that's been broken over, broken apart by, by the blood of Jesus puts us in this position where we can run through the, the king's court where everybody else is, is nervous around the king. Everybody else is wondering what's happening. Why, why, why are they running and sprinting to the, to the throne? And there's guards holding their swords and everybody's doing whatever it is that is to be reverent before the king. But this child running through the court is the child of the king. And they don't have to, to, to do any special dance or do anything. Certainly they're going to be reverent and, and, and have a holy fear of their father. But they throw their arms around their, their father's neck and say, Daddy! 
need you. A little alligator tear. I need you, Dad. Half of all this stuff I need you to help me with. I need you. I know you're the king, but you're, you're also my dad. And you can do anything. You made it all. You created it all. You define it all. You can do anything in any moment that you want to. And you love me because you're my dad. Here, I can't take this anymore. I've been carrying all this stuff, Dad, and I'm small. I can't do it anymore. Can you take it? And he, he takes it. That's what he does. No more complex plan than that. Right here, bring it to him. And the peace which transcends all understanding, it, it will blow away the rest of the world's concept of how in the world could you walk through cancer and have peace? How could you walk through a divorce, a relationship falling apart, shed tears, but you have peace? miracle of peace comes from the peacemaker. Access to my dad. That changes everything. As a church, we want to reframe our minds. I want to reframe my mind. So many ways in 2020, I've lost my way in what I think about, what I spend my time doing, what I absorb my life with. But man, I want to find myself on my knees. I want to find myself in that rec room dancing and singing the truths that in valleys low, you'll never change. Mountains high, you stay the same. He can do that for you. In this moment, by the power of His Spirit, you can't make it happen. He makes it happen. But you can come to Him. Let's stand God, we love you. God, just come in power. We need your power, the power of your spirit. In our self-trying, we want to find circumstantial peace, a corner where we can be alone and just be quiet for a moment. But God, we need something bigger. We need something better. We need something transcendent. Because we don't just want to be free. We want to carry our freedom to the world. Because you've liberated us, we can carry that liberation to other people and see them take the chains off. We want to carry that type of peace. We want to carry that light to the world. God, I pray that you come right now and heal. Heal our hearts emotionally and spiritually. God, make a way. Make a way right now. Even in the circumstances that are being carried in this room. Right now, in Jesus' name.